0: Hey there church family, thanks for joining in today. So uh, I'm Tony Richmond, Associate Pastor to Families and I'm excited today to uh, be able to share with you uh, this Sunday School lesson. Um, For those of you who've been following along, you know that in the adult Sunday School area, uh, we've been exploring the Bible through the book of Luke. And I think last week's lesson, was uh, associated with John the Baptist and the um, his coming on the scene to prepare the way for the Lord and the unique task that he had to come, not as the Savior, but the one, uh, the last prophet who was coming to um, baptize with the baptism of repentance for sins and how he promised that Jesus would come and baptize um with the holy spirit and with fire and so I uh, really enjoyed that lesson together today's lesson jumps ahead and so for those of you who are devout baptists you know that from time to time we have sort of special emphasis sundays and that kind of thing and so historically this sunday is called Sanctity of Life Sunday. And, uh, you know, we get the opportunity to look at the Word and uh, think about how all life is valuable because we are made in God's image and the repercussions of that biblical truth in the culture. And so maybe for you, when I say Sanctity of Life um, Sunday, you automatically think of ethical issues, maybe like abortion or something like that. And we're not, we're not going to talk specifically about that today, but as we jump into the lesson, uh, you will see how this idea, uh, this idea of loving others and seeing others as made in the image of God was totally bound up in Jesus's ethic. And so really, that's what we're going to be focusing on today is Jesus's ethic. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Luke 6, 27 through 38. Let me go ahead and read it. It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So that's our text today from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Now, just a reminder a little bit about our context here. We know that Luke sought out to write this gospel to a specific person we know from the opening verses luke addressed this gospel to a man named theophilus and evidently theophilus wondered if he had it together enough to be included into christ's following and so luke says that he desires to present an. Uh, Uh, a record of orderly events that would show Theophilus the true heart of Christ for people. And that's what we see, of course, included here, Um, that the disciples are not people who have it all together, that they are people who are on this journey of transformation um, that they were expected over the course of their walking with Jesus to hear these teachings and to be shaped by them. And so uh, I wonder um, maybe in our own lives if we've failed to see this, that over and over again in Jesus' teaching that there is a need for his true disciples to constantly be formed into Christ's likeness, that when we come to Christ, we don't come having it all together. It's not the finish line to be called to faith in Christ. It's the starting point. It's the starting gate. And so I think Luke is trying to help Theophilus understand you don't have to have it all together to to be included in Christ following, to be a follower of Christ. Instead, you have to have a heart that's open to receiving these teachings and being formed by them. And so, uh, going back, um, Luke chapters 4 through 9, we see a transition point where Jesus is, of course, grown, he has been baptized, and he starts his ministry in Galilee, and we see him doing ministry in Galilee, and specifically in chapter 6, verses 17 through 49, that of course include our passage today, we have one of the most famous parts of Jesus' teaching. Um, According to Luke, it's the Sermon on the Plain, um, and it really consists of two parts. You have an introductory summary about Jesus' teaching and ministry in verses 17 through 19. And then that's followed by the sermon proper. And it's divided up into three parts. So if you look back up into verse, starting in verse 20, you see this familiar passage that's come to be known as the Beatitudes, the Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness. And these things that we're familiar with there. And then the sermon uh, transitions in verse 24 to these pronouncements of woe. And uh, you can see there verse 25 a couple times. Verse 24, verse 26 all begin with woe. And this is sort of this prophetic call to blessing to to what a disciples life should be characterized by blessed are you if you um if if your life looks like this and woe to you if your life looks like this and so we have to remember that this is a call to his disciples to people who are following him and then we have our passage, and so let me ask you this question as we think about these things if I were to ask you what is the love chapter in the Bible? what would you think of the passage of scripture that speaks about love well m- most people many people would probably say first Corinthians thirteen right where you know Paul says, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. If you don't have love, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You 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 don't accomplish much if you don't have love for the kingdom of God. And certainly there we should study that. We should understand what Paul is speaking to in that regard. But I would say that Luke chapter 6 has much more detail about what love is than even 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Because in Luke chapter six, we have um, Jesus's remarks on love that form the center of his ethic. This is the core of ethics for Jesus, that sacrificial love is only possible through faith in God and through a belief that God will balance the scales of justice one day. So I think we have to start there. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God will balance the scales of justice one day? I think what Jesus is saying here is that if we don't start with that foundation, we cannot love and the way that he's called us to love. We can't see people through the lens of Scripture in this way if we don't understand that God is just. And ultimately, one day, he will be the one that balances that scale of justice. He doesn't need us to do that. So this sermon from Jesus, this teaching from Jesus to his disciples, is a call to love all humanity in the face of the reality of God's blessing, God's justice, God's character. And so hopefully we can receive it in that way. Let's look at some of the specifics, starting in verses 27 and 28. Look at this. It's a call to love who? To love our enemies, and and maybe before we start um, looking at these details, we have to say, do we even love our brothers? I mean, do we love our our neighbors, those who are not our enemies? We would say, are we loving them well? Jesus is assuming that we we know we should be loving them. So he says, verses. 27 and 28, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. I mean, aren't you grateful for the word of God? Aren't you grateful that his timing is perfect and the the people who put together this curriculum did so? Long before they knew what was going to be happening in our culture Um, this last week or two weeks ago, um, we live in a world that views everybody that doesn't believe the things we believe as enemies. And Jesus understood that in their culture it was probably similar. Um, But Jesus says to his disciples Love your enemies. Now, obviously, this is not an ordinary love. It's a difficult love, but it's a superior kind of love. It's the love that is appropriate, according to Jesus, for a disciple who understands God's love and forgiveness toward them. So according to Old Testament law, according to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, one should love their neighbor as themselves. Of course, we know that Jesus um, echoed this statement when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, But um, in Judaism, one's neighbor was someone with similar religious thinking, not someone who was a to that or hostile toward that. So Jesus comes along. Of course, he doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills the law. And he says, not only is it enough to love those who agree religiously with you, I am calling you to love those even who oppose what you believe as it relates to religious beliefs and theology and those things. And man, what a word for us. I mean, we live in a culture that's becoming more and more hostile toward the things of God, toward the truths of Scripture. And if we're not careful, we will buy into the, into the lie that we are fighting against people and we know, according to Ephesians, Paul says, we do not wrestle. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Our war that, that we're fighting is not against other people. It's against the true enemy, which is Satan. And we need to be reminded of that. So in the midst of that, Jesus says, love your enemies I have to read this passage I'm going to flip over to Acts chapter 7 the early church understood this idea of loving their enemies and loving those who are hostile toward the things of god i don't know if you remember at the end of acts chapter 7 we have the first record of of the of a martyr the first martyr being Stephen. And as the people are stoning Stephen for his faith in Christ and his desire to make Christ known, we should hear the love of Stephen um, recorded in Acts 7 verses 58 through 60. Listen to what it says. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul and they were stoning and as they were stoning Stephen he called out lord jesus receive my spirit and falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice lord do not hold this sin against them and when he had said this he fell asleep Of course, this echoes back to Jesus' words on the cross as his enemies were crucifying him, and he cried out to the Father, "'Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are called to love our enemies.'" It's easy to love those who are favorable to us, but this command to love our enemies is a defining type of love for a true disciple of Christ. So he says, love your enemies. He goes on, do good to them. So Jesus takes this step further in his teaching, going from this general attitude of love to this exhortation specifically That the radical character is difficult. In speaking of doing what is good, Jesus shows that he has in mind something more than an intellectual, passive type of love toward those who oppose God's people. Rather, it's an active love. It's a love that does something. And what does it do? It does good. Uh, this is not put up with your enemies. This is not grin and bear it. This is love them and act in such a way toward them that you are doing good things for them. This is a radical act of loving someone who is opposing that kind of love. He doesn't even stop there. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. So we kind of love them. Do good to them, bless them. The third command here moves from actions to words. This idea of blessing is to invoke God's favor on another person. Think about this idea. Not only are we to be doing good to our enemies, those who are persecuting us, those who are speaking out against the name of Christ and the truth of Christ, that we are to be asking God's favor to be poured out on their life. This is what we see in Stephen's Sentiment. When he asked God to forgive the people who were stoning him. This is what we see in Jesus' statement on the cross. That even in spite of the bad things that they were receiving from these people. They had a heart for the people. In such a way that they asked God to bless the people. And we must know that God will be just. And that he is displeased with activities that tear down the teaching of his truth. But we can make it clear that um, even for those who refuse to listen to God, that God can change their hearts and he can bless them to see the error of his of their ways. I'm thinking back to the passage of scripture that says, God is not willing that any should perish. And so we should have this type of compassion, this compassionate love on people that even in the midst of wrongdoing, we can ask God to bless them. And Jesus says this, not only do you love your enemies and do good to them and bless them, but you pray for them at the end verse 28, Jesus commands that we pray for those who treat us with spite or malice. And of course, the reference here is also a reference to persecution, but intercession to God for the opponents is one of the highest forms of love that we can give to someone else, that as they are fighting Against us, we recognize that this fight is not against flesh and blood. So we go to God and we intercede in prayer on their behalf. This love is tough love. And as we say tough love, we may think of a person who disciplines a child because that's tough to see your child under a form of discipline. But it's this is not tough love in that way, of course, because we're not disciplining our enemies. It's tough love because it truly requires humility, humility in our own hearts. That's not normal to say, I'm going to love a person like this who's treating me with spite, who's speaking out against the truth of God, and I'm going to bless them. I'm going to do good to them. I'm going to pray for them. This is an act of true love that shows us the ethic of love that Jesus is giving. So Jesus gives these illustrations of love in verses 29 and 30. He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now, we've heard this passage before, and maybe we've heard it taught, uh, maybe in a good way, maybe not so much. But Jesus illustrates here this love for one's enemies. And what Jesus is trying to communicate here is that um, this love involves not defending one's rights and accepting the wrongs committed against one, uh, but the willingness to forgive somebody um, who's done us wrong, right? When we when we feel like we're the victim of wrong, what we tend to do in our sinful nature is build up a wall to protect us from that wrong being committed against us again. So what Jesus is not saying here is that if somebody attacks you on the street, that you're not supposed to defend yourself. What Jesus is talking about something deeper than that here. He's talking about when somebody hurts you because of your religious beliefs, and that's real hurt. Guard against building up a wall between your yourself and that person. Be vulnerable enough to where you're willing to be hurt again by that person. You love that person in such a way that you're willing to be hurt again by that person for the sake of love, for the sake of care for their soul. And that's a huge, huge... uh, We see that a lot as it relates even to marriage, right? My spouse does something that's harmful, does something that really hurts me. And the automatic sort of... Sinful nature response to that is to protect myself from that hurt being done to me again. Jesus says, don't do that. Fight against that. Turn the other cheek. Be vulnerable enough with even your enemies. That as they attack these things, that you don't take it personal and put up a dividing wall in the relationship, but you're willing even to be hurt once again for the sake of love. Not only turning the other cheek, but um, the end of verse 29 from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic as well. The second illustration is similar. This is a picture of a robbery. And at that point, it's that one should not seek revenge, but remain vulnerable. I mean, maybe for Jesus, he was thinking of his disciples who would go to a specific place and that they would be attacked because of their religious affiliation with christ and they would literally have their garments taken from them jesus says don't hesitate to go back to that place again to share the gospel and to do my the work of my kingdom so it's it's similar don't allow these things to prevent you from loving these people enough to share the truth of god's word with them verse 30 says this give To everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Uh, The verbs of this illustration are present tense. So this indicates that we should always be prepared to respond in this way. Giving to the beggar probably includes borrowing as well. So the point is that true Christ-like love presents a genuine readiness to meet the needs of others without reference to prejudices. So there, there's a large element of self-denial in hating anyone who asks and who's in need. And this denial shows a willingness to part with things. It really goes back to Jesus' call to being generous, a concrete expression of love. And then he says, do not demand these things back. So this is an absence of retribution for wrong. Jesus's ethic is strong. It's comprehensive. It's serious. And even Jesus teaches that when somebody does us wrong, especially for believing these things or teaching or being about the business of building the kingdom that we shouldn't seek retribution for those wrongs but we should leave it to the lord in his final evaluation the ethic of jesus is clear it's a commitment to radical love one that must see god as the one who is just and is um, good and is blessing his people to love in this way. So in verse 31 then, Jesus says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I mean, here is the golden rule, right? But I think one of the things, one of the ways that we may miss the point of the golden rule is it has more to do with understanding the preferences of others. It's not just, okay, think about how I would want to be treated and do that to others it is that but it's also considering how others want to be treated you have to understand understand another person's perspective on how they want to be treated in order to get this in order to to be faithful with the golden rule here and so this verse has its roots in the old testament luke 19 Verse 18 again, commanded to love one neighbor as oneself. Um, but it is also a command to be sensitive and, and to, to give sensitive consideration to others that, might, that one might want to, to give. So this is a kind of love that is sensitive and aware of even the preferences of others. Um, He goes on in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? So he transitioned here to these illustrations of radical love, and he contrasts that with the way the world loves. He says at the end of verse 32, even sinners love like that. So he says, if you only love those who love you, you're no better than the world. And he repeats it again in verse 33. If you only do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? If you only lend those who, expect, who you expect to receive from, what credit is that? So Jesus is getting these points. Love, do good, be generous. That's Jesus' ethic. Love, do good, be generous. Who are we to do that for? once again jesus takes the law and he expands it not just to those who will do it do those things back to you but even to those who won't even to those who can't and i know in recent days we've come to understand the phrase quid pro quo in other words if you scratch my back i'll scratch your back the ethic of jesus is opposed to a quid pro quo type of ethic. It's love, do good, and be generous, even if you get nothing in return. That's the type of love that Jesus calls his followers to, and these are the examples he gives here in verses 32 through 34. And then back in verse 35, we have the... um, the commands again. Here it is: love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return. Look at this, and your reward will be great, and you will be like this. You will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Luke repeats these exhortations of loving and doing good and and lending and being generous but these exhortations now come with a promise about a reward that will come from God for those of his followers who love in this way God is promising that this reward in relationship will be the result of the expression of Christ like love. So, the emphasis here, we have to be clear, is not on the entry into that relationship as the reward. We have to be clear here. Jesus is, once again, he's speaking to his disciples, to the ones that have already been called to him. So he is not teaching that if you do these things, if you love in these ways, you will become a follower of Christ. You will be saved. He's talking to those who have already been called and he's telling them what their life should look like, what how their lives should be characterized. So Jesus is saying, look, if you can look at your life And your life is characterized by loving your enemies, doing good to them, being generous to them. You will be rewarded by God. You will be sons. You will have this relationship with God that is deep and that is fruitful. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil when you when we ask his followers act in this way, we are acting in accordance with the character of God and when we when we ask his disciples act in accordance with his character, we are drawn into deeper relationship with him. What an incredible truth what an incredible call verse 36 be merciful even as your Father is merciful. What about us? I mean, what about you? What about me? Is our life characterized by loving our enemies in this way? By truly being compassionate for their souls in such a way that we would do good to them. We would bless them. We would even be generous to them may we have that type of love see jesus doesn't end there of course he goes on in verse 37 says judge not and you will not be judged now the judgment in this view does not refer to a refusal to engage in appropriate ethical evaluation let me say that again Judgment in this view does not refer to a refusal to engage in appropriate ethical evaluation. All that means is this. When somebody says, you can't judge me because the Bible says, judge not and you will not be judged. That is not what Jesus is teaching Jesus is not saying we should not engage in appropriate ethical evaluation of ourselves or one another. In fact, the scripture is clear that especially as followers of Christ, we are to often examine ourselves and to exhort one another, exhort a brother in gentleness when they fall into sin. So Jesus is not saying here that we have no right to look at another brother or sister or even a lost person and say, this is sin. Instead, what he's teaching is that this judgmental or perspective toward others is pushing them down and holding them down in guilt and never seeking them are seeking to encourage them in the way of God, right? This is the type of judgment that has no way out. This is a type of judgment that says, because you're engaged in this sin, there is no hope for you. And of course, we know that the very mission of Christ was to come and seek and to save the lost so that they would have hope irregardless of what sin they find themselves in. So Jesus is calling his followers here to understand that there is no um, long-lasting judgment because there's hope in Christ for any Person in any sin, there is hope of redemption and there's hope of salvation. So we don't judge people to hell. We share with them, you're in sin and you're walking in sin, and yet there is hope in Christ. So Jesus is calling his followers to see this idea of judgment. He goes on, he talks about condemnation, this similar thing that the righteous and the merciful store up heavenly treasure and God is gracious to those who humbly submit to his lordship so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and so there is hope for that forgive he says that you will be forgiven this is directed toward others and maybe we need to Talk about this for a moment. You know, are we harboring resentment? Are we withholding forgiveness uh, toward another believer, even another believer who has repented because we feel like they deserve uh, to be punished? And Jesus says, forgive others. Verse 38, he talks about being generous. Again, give and it will be given to you. Jesus notes that generosity will be honored by God. Um, then he goes on to say this at the end. Good measure. pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. It will be put into your lap. This, this is an illustration that Jesus was giving about the culture. And it has to do with counting out grain let me read to you there's a his, uh, a cultural historian named Jeremiah and he describes the process behind this language i think that is helpful he says this the measuring of the corn is a process that is carried out according to an established pattern the seller crouches on the ground with the measure between his legs first of all he fills measure, maybe that would be a bag or something like that, three quarters full, and then he gives it a good shake with a rotatory motion to make the grain settle down. Then he fills the measure to the top and gives it another shake. Then he presses the corn together strongly with both hands, and finally he heaps into it a cone, tapping carefully to press the grain together. From time to time, he bores a hole in the corn and even pours a few more grain into it until there is literally no more room from a single grain. In this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolutely full measure. It cannot hold any more. I think that's a good illustration. helps us what Jesus is saying here. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. uh, Kristen and I, my wife, had this um, conversation just last night. We had a bag of tortilla chips we were using for some tortilla soup. And on the front of the bag, it said, now... A bigger bag. And I said, well, it's a bigger bag, but it's the same amount of tortilla tortilla chips, right? Because if you noticed, the bag is full, but the tortilla chips are only maybe half full to the bag. This is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. He is saying, this is the type of forgiveness This is the type of generosity we should give to others, even our enemies, that we take the bag of chips, we put the chips in it, we shake the bag down so that they fall into place, we add more chips, we fill the bag up, we press the chips down with our hand, we add a few more, and then according to this illustration, we poke a few holes in the bag where the void spots are and we add even more. This is the type of generosity of the blessing of the love that we're called to give as followers of Christ. Do you see the ethic of Jesus here? It's one that goes beyond putting up with other people. It's one that goes beyond holding certain affections in our heart or in our mind. It's an ethic that does something for other people. And so as we reflect on these truths, may we reflect, do do I have this type of ethic in my life? Do I have this type of love that does? Do I have this type of love that acts? Who does it act for? Is it only to those who can give me in return? Or is it even to those who are Fighting against the things of God. And maybe at no other time in our history as an American church do we need this message today. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We are called to love them. We are called to care for them. We are called to understand that God is just. And ultimately, one day, He will balance the scales of justice, but for us as his followers, we're called to love, to do good, and to be generous for his honor and glory. May God bless us and give this this, this type of Christian ethic. Thanks, brothers and sisters.